thepetreporter.com. And from listener donations at wjffradio.org. As we dive headlong into the new year, veteran suicide remains a national tragedy. Recently, we met with Matt Healy, Orange County ADA, and Carl LaFaro, Community Engagement Partnership Coordinator, Hudson Valley VA, to find out how the newly formed Orange County Coalition to Prevent Veteran Suicide is helping to reduce the number of our heroes who take their own lives each day. That's Let's Talk Vets, Wednesday, 7 p.m., right here on Radio Catskill. news and information is keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Coming up, we've got the latest in jobs and the economy. It's Work Shift Live with James B. Huntington. First up on a Wednesday evening, it's time for our local news roundup, our weekly news roundup with the River Reporter, which happens on Wednesdays. For that, we turn to Liam Mayo, of the River Reporter, Liam, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back. So looking at uh, news going on in our area, um, and on Monday, the Bethel Planning Board had a public hearing. Were you there, and what was it for? I was. So the public hearing was for a project in on the banks of White Lake, or near the banks of White Lake in the town of Bethel. Uh, the White Lake Mansion is this historic sort of decrepit structure um, at the intersection of Route 55 and 17B. And there's an applicant who wants to take that and develop a hotel out of it, sort of recreate the original building and have that have things like offices and a restaurant and have two other buildings with 72 rooms between them as well as a spa. Um, this planning board meeting was on Monday was one of the first times I'd heard of it. So I'm coming into this a little bit new, but it was very clear at that meeting that this is not a new project or it is, and it isn't. Um, Mm. there was a developer called globe developers who tried to do this, uh, starting in the mid two thousands. And they actually got approval to do this exact project back in 2013. And, they um, they got approval to do it. They had the approval extended a couple of times to, I believe, 2016, but they never actually followed through on the project. So now it's not 100% clear that this is the same applicant. There are things to suggest that this is the same applicant, but it's Wait, wait, wait. You're saying, you're saying it's not just that you're not sure of the same applicant, like people taking the application aren't sure if it's the same applicant? So the planning board did ask, like, who the owner of the property was, and the lawyer who was there representing them was a little cagey about it. He basically said that it was outside the uh, scope of the site plan review, but that the owners did have a legal stake in the property. Um, And I did a little digging on that today. 
the current owner of that piece of property, at least as far as the um, county's tax maps are concerned, is a company by the name uh, scrambling through my notes here, mm. Hilltop Vacation Club International, which does have links to the uh, Globe developers who tried to do this um, back over a decade ago. But that's not like 100% proven. So it's probably the same people, but we're not 100% sure of that. Or at least I personally am not 100% sure of that as of yet. <laughs> it sounds like you're on the case, though. <laughs> we're trying. All right. We're trying out here. So what are what are what are next steps uh and what are what are folks looking for next is there anything else that the planning board is looking for other than knowing who it is that's doing this Yeah um one of the things the public was really looking for was for the planning board to treat this as a completely new application so don't just rubber stamp it because you already approved it back in 2013 um, listen to some of the public concerns about how this will impact the water table, um, how this will impact uh, the town's sewer systems, how this will impact traffic along 17B, especially in summers with Bethel Woods up and running. Um, and the planning board is doing that. They're treating this as a new application, and they held the public hearing open uh, officially just until the next meeting, but we're sort of willing to just leave that public hearing open so that they could take the time to, to review this properly. Um, but something the board raised as a concern or something they're looking at is just kind of how much the area has changed between, um, between 2013 and now. Um, I, th I think board member, some of the board members said that, well, 72 hotel rooms coming into the area would have been a big change back in uh, 2013, and it would have been really nice for the area to have that extra capacity. But now, in the interim, we've had multiple major hotels come in and major development projects build out that kind of capacity in the area. So the sort of factors that could have led to an approval of the project the first time around aren't necessarily in play anymore. So even though it's the same project, it's kind of a whole new approval process. Right. Okay, well, um, you know, and, and did you happen to hear any of Governor Hochul's State of the State yesterday, Liam? I did not, no, although I did see y'all were all over it. So. We, we were, and one of the things that stood out to me was how much, in, in efforts to address the housing issue, she was pushing for local communities uh, to change various regulations such as zoning, uh, among other things, to 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 make it so that you know the, that more development can happen. Development uh, in this case that would lead to for to places for people to live. Uh, but you know, there seems like there's always this kind of struggle for any kind of project. You know, there's a question of should it happen? What are the impacts? or the environmental impacts? or the economic impacts? And weighing all those out. And now on top of that, I'm curious, at least in New York State now, to start keeping an eye on uh, when, when you have somebody like the governor of the state uh, arguing for essentially regulatory changes at the local level to make more construction possible. Uh, even when it comes to stories like this now, I'm starting to think of that. So I'm putting that in your brain and other 
other people's as well, because I'm curious to see where, where and how that aspect of it lands with local communities. Of course, you weren't talking about a housing development, but, you know, still <laughs> things like that going on. And your next story is also about zoning and uh, uh, zoning legislation. Tana Highland passing new zoning legislation. Uh, what's this for? Yeah, uh, so the town of Highland's new zoning regulation is uh, related to the cannabis laws that it has passed, or specifically the law uh, opting in to. <laughs> uh, it it's, it gets a little confusing every time we talk about this, but the end result of the law, however it was worded, was you can open a cannabis dispensary in the town of Highland. So when that was getting discussed, uh, Highland did pass a law saying that you could do this, uh, that you could open a dispensary in Highland, um, or they did not pass. I, I, I forget exactly how. Um, well, yeah, how it was it, it was policy. worded in an inverted way, which is part of what helps make it difficult to understand. But but are you saying like so they they have the ability? to locate something like this, but now the question is, is where? Yes, uh, that's a, a very neat summary of it. Um, thank you. Uh, so what the High- Highlands did this past board meetings um, on January 3 is specify where. Um, they specified where in the town of Highland you can open a cannabis dispensary if you are lucky enough to get one of the 14 or 24 licenses expected to be awarded in the seven county mid-Hudson region. So um, if you happen to get the ability to open a dispensary, you can put it in one of the places that Highland is going to let you place it. And uh, the zoning law actually is very restrictive in terms of where you can place these things. Um, you can only put a dispensary in one of the four hamlet zones. So that's Eldred, Berryville, Eulen, and Minnesink Ford, which already sort of reduces the area um, from the entire town to those smaller development areas. Um, but you also cannot locate it within 1,000 feet of the lot line of schools, churches, parks, that kind of thing. And you can't locate it within 100 feet of any residential lot line boundary. Um, so it it's a little clearer if you're looking at the maps that they put out. Uh, I believe we have that in the article up on our website. Um, but there are only like small patches of areas in each of those hamlets where you could potentially open the dispensary. Okay. Well, and... <laughs> It, it, so it sounds like a lot of ifs. This is not that there is a dispensary that is on its way and that's where it's going. It's like if somebody has a license, if this is a place they want to do it, then if they meet these other requirements, this is kind of the place they can put it. So, uh, but it's good that the it's good for towns to be clear. So the town islands being clear. Finally, Liam, uh, public hearing for the Never Sink Watershed. We hear a lot about the Delaware River. We don't often hear as much about you know the Catskill. Uh, Ramapo uh, Reservoir System and the Neversink River, the Neversink Watershed. What are folks looking to do there? Yeah, so folks uh, there um, are looking to create a watershed management plan. Uh, This is specifically the Sullivan County Division of Planning and Environmental Management that is 
sort of spearheading this process. And they're going to be holding the first of a series of public meetings next Wednesday, January 18, at 6 p.m. on Zoom. And if you want to find the link to that, you can go to fudr.org slash NeverSyncWMP, or just like Google search fudder.org NeverSync uh, Watershed Management Plan. Um, the FUDR, the Friends Upper uh, Delaware River. So, yeah. so that's happening next Wednesday. Great. That is, yeah, and that should um, the the sort of topic of that meeting, as far as I understand it, is what is a watershed management plan, and it's just sort of introducing the concept to uh, the general public. All right. Well, Liam, I'm going to say goodbye so we can get just a little bit more news in before we go to work shift live. But I want to thank you so much for giving us these updates here. Thanks for having me. Liam Mayo is an award-winning reporter for the River Reporter newspaper. The newest edition of the River Reporter comes out tomorrow on newsstands and digital delivery options. Hey, you know, uh, speaking of digital options, don't forget Radio Catskill. We've got real presence on social media, local edition, Radio Catskill. Keep an eye on, keep an eye out for us on the web. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, the old school website, WJFFradio.org. Okay, real quick before we get into work shift live, let's uh, continue to do some of the follow up from the New York Governor Kathy Hochul's state of the state message she delivered yesterday with all of its ambitious proposals. Now it's time to figure out how much those proposals will cost taxpayers. The governor will have to do that in her proposed state budget, and that's due in just a couple of weeks, the end of the month. As Karen DeWitt reports, the spending plan is being forged at a time of economic uncertainty. Among Hochul's plans for the 2023 session is a program that aims to build 800,000 more housing units in the next decade and jumpstarting the failing mental health system with a large cash infusion. And I'm proud to announce to accomplish this goal, we are prepared to invest $1 billion making critical policy changes to fully meet the mental health needs of our people. It's about time. Let's get it done. Hochul also intends to keep her pledge to increase spending on schools by 13 percent or $2.7 billion. That money would fully fund foundation aid for schools by the next school year. It would fulfill a court order issued over a decade ago. And she proposes expanding some Medicaid programs for preventive health and for people with disabilities. Andrew Ryan heads the Citizens Budget Commission, a nearly century-old budget watchdog group. He says while the governor's goals are laudable, he has concerns about the potential price tag. And there are some good proposals here, a long menu of proposals, but of course we have to wait till the executive budget to get the bill. He says there are some positive signs that show the governor is watching the bottom line. Her housing plan, which relies on construction largely financed by real estate developers, does not come with a big cost. And could help bring back middle and working class people to the state. The governor's also pledging not to increase taxes this year, despite calls from some in the left of the Democratic Party to do so. She says that would just make problems worse if there's an economic downturn, which many experts believe will occur. A majority of economists are predicting a recession, and that's one of the reasons it's clear to me 
why we will not be raising income taxes this year. Ryan says Hochul is wise to resist raising taxes. He'd like to see her go one step further and not renew a temporary income tax surcharge on the wealthy when it sunsets in two years. He says that could help prevent wealthier people from leaving the state and attract other higher income people to live in New York. We need to keep our wealthy people because they pay disproportionate taxes that fund schools and transportation and and all that. They also often are business leaders and job creators. That's a very good thing. Ryan says preventing taxes from rising could also help slow the state's out-migration of people to other states. New York State's finances are in relatively good shape going into 2023 thanks to recent federal COVID relief packages and better-than-expected tax and other revenue collections. Spending, though, grew 12 percent over the previous years, and that's a big jump compared to budgets in the last decade. If that spending continues at the current rate, a fiscal cliff is looming. If nothing's done, the state would face a $6 billion budget cap by 2027. Hochul spoke about her concerns for the future last December. And I have to anticipate worst-case scenarios with respect to the economy. I just have to. And that's why we'll approach our budgeting with that frame. The governor already plans to increase the state's rainy day fund to $20 billion in the next two years. But the Citizens Budget Commission and other fiscal experts say more than twice that amount is needed to offset the effects of a potential recession. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. And right now on the local edition, once again, it's time to go over the latest on jobs and an economy around our listening area, around the country, around the world. For that, we turn to James B. Huntington for another edition of Work Shift Live. Hello, James. Good evening, Jason. Good evening, listeners. Well, it's, you know, that time, uh, once again, we got to talk about what happened at the end of last week. Another jobs report came out. What did this one tell us, James? Yes, it was another strong jobs report. We exceeded the predicted 200,000 net new non-farm positions to reach 223,000. We have seasonally adjusted and adjusted, unadjusted unemployment each falling 0.2%. They're now at 35 and 3.3%, both range-bound 10 straight months between 35 and 3.7% for adjusted. Our fine rut continues. We have long-term jobless, people out 27 weeks or longer, down 100,000 to 1.1 million. We have the labor force participation rate and the employment population ratio, each up 0.2% to 62.3 and 60.1. We have payroll wages really staying the same, which is quite a contrast although there was a slight adjustment downward, so they went up still not as much as inflation. We have the AJSN, which shows latent demand for jobs down 220,000. That's a good thing to 15.6 million. So we're doing very well. We were nowhere near a recession. If 
we see charts showing how many new jobs are, but these really need a vertical line, which would be near the bottom, a horizontal line, rather, which would go across and show how many we need to cover population increase. And that would be way down. Every month is substantially more than that. So we're gaining jobs. This this was another big, solid month. The good times in the jobs market are rolling. Okay, that sounds that sounds good. And and uh, I guess as we're all we're talking to jobs, talking about jobs, uh, what industries are out there um, that that are having a surge in job openings, at least for people working remotely? Yes, this is remote jobs. A lot of people. We have a set of 63% saying they would prefer to work remotely, and some of them are coming, pulling back, but we have some industries that are looking particularly strong. Hmm, this is due to a survey by Flex Jobs, a career insights platform, and they say the best areas now for working remotely are nonprofit and philanthropy, analysis, Legal positions, medical and health care, communications, accounting and finance, and project management. All of those are looking particularly strong for jobs where you can work remotely. And, you know, I ask because it's coming off of the, you know, the employment report, the jobs numbers, and then this is something we keep talking about is this, you know, tug and pull between people wanting to work remotely, employers wanting them to come back uh, uh, to the workspace. Of course, that to me is just echoes of other struggles between workers and workplaces. You know, people talk about the work-life balance that, that workers need to strike. Um, how, how, if that's important to a worker, how do they find out if that's important to the company that they're trying to get a job with? Well, there's one magic question that seems to do very well with people interviewing to suss out companies that are saying they have work-life balance but may not really have it. And the question is, what would a typical work week look like? Ask them to run down. Well, it would be a typical thing. If they have you working lots of extra hours, be prepared for that. If they say that, well, right now we're only allowing people to work one or two days from home or not at all, if something like that is the case, then that really matters more than any statement that they will do more of that in the future. So ask that and ask questions after that with what they say. So that should help you a lot. Right, and I, I see on the horizon we've got some robots to talk about, but uh, before we get there, um, I guess this is robot-adjacent. How about self-driving vehicles? Are you got new news on problems with those? Yes, we're reporting that in San Francisco, where, because it's Silicon Valley, they're having a lot of driverless activity. They're, they're causing some interesting problems there. there. We have one case of a streetcar ha- having to stop in that city because there's an autonomous vehicle that stopped on the tracks, wouldn't move. It took several minutes to get it out of there. There are cars that are mm, driving around, sort of following tracks or whatever. We have people living in cul-de-sacs who are reporting that 
these self-driving taxis are going down and back, down and back, doing that a great deal. They're apparently supposed to be moving a lot of the time, and they're moving in neighborhoods where they're not really very welcome. We also had a case of a driverless car that was police were trying to pull it over to find out what was going on, and it it sped away from the police. There's only so much that people in the city can do to stop these things, and even very fast responses from technicians, hotlines, or whatever to call them, always will take at least five or ten minutes, sometimes more. So there are, as we know, there are a lot of bugs with the driverless vehicles, and they will have to be ironed out for them to be popular as well as usable. I'll say, you know, you know what time it is when the self-driving taxis, self-driving vehicles start fleeing from the cops? You know what time it is? It's, no. It's time for another edition of Robot Watch. This is where we uh, look at the impact of robots and artificial intelligence on the workplace and our lives. So I'll ask you, James, in the last uh, few minutes we've got here, how are researchers trying to build consciousness into robots, and is that a good thing? Wow. Well, this is quite a project. This was a news bulletin, actually a long New York Times story about consciousness and robots, which was once taboo. They didn't want to discuss it even as recently as two years ago. Now it's looking to be the last word it's this is going to be a long way to tipperary i tell you they are <laughs> they're working on it they're even working with philosophers which is an interesting combination anyone who thinks philosophy is only an ivory tower thing well it's getting involved here because people can't even define or agree on exactly what consciousness is but they're looking for some things going on they have Hmm, some kind of things there. Just, I mean, absolutely murky sort of waters. We have some people thinking that consciousness could be reduced to one process. If they show it, one thing they have made actually some progress on is robots that apparently can are conscious of themselves in some way, where they can. A robot was asked in one lab setting to draw a picture of itself, and it wasn't all that far off. So that is a thing of consciousness, is being aware that you are there, what you are, like as a human being, approximately how big your body is, and things like that. So there also was a case of them being taught how to walk without being directly taught, so Mm. to speak. They learn how to move their legs forward. They figure out ways that they could do that best by being aware of their body. Well, if you had the body like such and such, how would you want to walk? Posing questions sort of to that. So we also have an issue that some people think consciousness can only exist with language, which takes out the view that pocket calculators may even have it and such, but it's really not much agreed about it. We have, so it's getting to be an interesting area. If your bent is toward philosophy and you are interested in robots, you may have a career field here. Oh my Don't goodness. expect these things today or tomorrow, but 
eventually we may have them. Airy well, but reasonable. And just, I guess, re- real quick, and you said that was in the Times. Can you just let folks know where, where and when that came out so they can track that down themselves? This is January 6th. It's by Oliver Huang, W-H-A-N-G. Consciousness and robots was once taboo. Now it's the last word. It's a title. It will come up if you use that magnifying glass at the top of the New York Times page. All right. We now have less than one minute. Is that enough time for you to tell me if robots know how to get to White Castle? Yes. We have a big rollout of these things. You may remember Flippy from a previous broadcast flippy cooks hamburgers exactly right every time and serves them up serves up french fries also so now they are being rolled out to 100 white castle locations nationwide in fact to believe the exact wording of this article i have here this is fox business that they have them now so you can go to a white castle if you're near one i don't I don't think there are any in our listening area, but there are a lot of them around the country. You have a good chance of seeing Flippy in action. They're generally working. They cost about $3,000 a month, and they are rolling out, folks. This is a good example of something logical meeting with a good product and going into production. The future is here, and we're reminded of that every time we do Robot Watch only, only on WorkShift Live with James Huntington. James, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, listeners. This is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Women's Health Center in Honesdale, Hamlin, Waymart, Carbondale, and Lords Valley in Pennsylvania. Physicians and certified midwives who deliver. The Women's Health Center is a Wayne Memorial Community Health Center. WMH.org. From Rourke Law, Liberty, New York, a general law practice serving the Catskills and Delaware River Valley, with an emphasis on estate planning, estate administration, elder law, and real property matters. RourkeLaw.com.